sentire media. Hello you, you're listening to A History of Italy. Episode 138, Aragonese, Sardinia and Sicily, 1410 to 1500. We last left the island of Sardinia after the fall of the last independent judicate, that of Arborea, in the early 1400s, after the death of Eleanor of Arborea. That fiercely independent judicate, which had for a time controlled almost all of Sardinia in its rebellion against the Aragonese invaders, was made into a marquisate, and the first marquis was Leonardo Cubello de Serrabas. Now, We won't be going into incredible detail about all the goings-on in Sardinia in the 15th century, because there were a lot, but all very administrative and political. We will concentrate on a few key elements, and the Marquisate of Oristano, which replaced the Judicate of Arborea, is one of them, as well as the Cubello dynasty. Now the fall of Arborea had put an end to the Aragonese War of Conquest, which had started in the 1320s, thus marking almost a century of war. Add to that the economic crisis, depopulation, and of course the Great Plague of 1348, and it makes for a pretty rubbish century for Sardinia. Plus, the conquest may have finished, but there was still a lot of consolidating to do. This meant that by the time Alphonse V of Aragon, second of the Testamara house, came along and started to put viceroys in charge of the island, most nobles there were okay to go along with the new management in exchange for some sort of peace and stability. So the first viceroys of the kingdom didn't have too much trouble with rebellions or the like, but of course, That doesn't mean it was always all smooth sailing. The viceroys didn't have the right to call parliaments, which was reserved for the king only, and he first did so in 1421, revealing a rather fluid political situation that we would just mention as being a delicate balance between the Sardinian nobility, the new Aragonese nobility, and the cities with their thirst for independence, such as Cagliari or Alghero, for example. These were left to govern themselves, more or less, as long as they behaved and didn't kick out the royal delegate assigned to them. There were three feudal lords who had the right to convene outside of Parliament, and those were the aforementioned Marquis of Oristano and the Counts of Quira and Oliva. But there was an unprecedented freedom of movement as the king installed and consolidated a feudal system where there hadn't really been one historically. For example, there was more freedom of movement for vassals in Sardinia than there was back in Aragon. This may also have been due to the fact that the king did not want trouble from an area that was not top on his priority list, 
and could represent a valuable resource for men and supplies for his other objectives. For example, the struggle against Genoa for control of Corsica in the 1420s. This front was short-lived, being totally abandoned when Alphonse was named heir to the Kingdom of Naples by Joanna II, and ended up definitively renouncing his claim to Corsica in 1426 to the Duke of Milan, Filippo Maria Visconti, in exchange for the mainland cities of Lerici and Porto Venere. Milan would never actually take Corsica, which remained for a long time under control of Genoa. We'll go back to the struggle for the Kingdom of Naples in the next episode. So, this balancing act between Sardinian feudal nobles, Aragonese feudal nobles, and the cities went on for a good while. As far as the great feudal families were concerned, there were actually three overriding powers. The Cubello and Carrots families were both related to the Centelles, a situation which kept any factional rivalry from breaking out into open conflict, held also by the presence of the royal viceroy. This could not last forever. Indeed, in 1470, the Marquis of Oristano, Salvatore Cubello, died without heirs and nominated his nephew, Leonardo Alagon, to be the next Marquis. The Viceroy at the time, Nicolò of the Carrots dynasty, was not at all pleased with the situation. The rebellious history of Alagon's father helped the Viceroy push his case with the King and soon war broke out. The Marquis, Leonardo Alagon, saw an early victory in 1470, followed by a peace treaty, but Carrots was having none of it, and finally won out at the Battle of Macomer in 1478. Leonardo Alagon's son, Artale, had tried to convince his father that they were in no condition at the time to defeat the viceroy supported by the royal troops. His father, instead, confident they would gain victory, sent his son to fight and to die in the battle that saw the end of his marquisate. Leonardo Alagon would later be captured as he tried to escape, and he would later die in prison, thus marking the definitive end of the marquisate that had inherited the fierce tradition of independence of Arborea. The marquisate would fall under the direct control of the Spanish crown. The long initial period of Aragonese domination from the 1320s to the 1470s had set Sardinia back quite a bit on the European march out of the Middle Ages. But when Ferdinand II succeeded John II in 1479, a period of revival started up on the island as well that would allow it to join the rest of Italy heading into the Renaissance. Incidentally, this is the same Ferdinand known as the Catholic who would send an Italian on a little trip across the Atlantic. The situation in Sicily instead had been different from that in Sardinia for quite some time with respect to the Aragonese. In that they had had an Aragonese king since the time of the uprising of the Vespers in the late 13th century but their king had usually been a family member of the Aragonese king 
usually a younger brother, and only in the early 15th had the crown of the island of Sicily been united with that of Aragon. The Sicilians wished to hold on to this special status and would ask each Aragonese king to come and reign from Sicily. When they each refused, they would, however, send a first or second son to come along and at times also act as viceroys, a role that the kingdom of Aragon also used in Sicily. The organisation making these requests was the Sicilian Parliament, an organisation that had always been a lot more present and active than in Sardinia, for example, due to the great power of the regional barons. Divided in many more factions than the two above that we saw for the northwestern island. You will remember it had been the Sicilian parliament who had first called the Aragonese in to counter the threat of the Anjou after the rebellion of the Vespers in 1282. These barons had always managed to keep the power of their, let's say, local king in check. But not only, they also managed to keep the growing middle class made up of merchants, notaries, lawyers, and bankers, out of the halls of power. Then, of course, there would have been no talk of the concept of middle class, but that of nobiles, the nobles, and the populares, the popular class. Under the reign of Alphonse V, the magnanimous, things in this sense started to change a little. Indeed, it was he that extended the possibility to hold public office and to acquire tax collection and tariff rights to the middle class, allowing them some more room for manoeuvre. It is in this period that we see the affirmation of families whose surnames we may recognise today, such as Pesci or Falcone, or cool names such as Vento, Wind, or funny ones such as Porco, Pig. Obviously, this usually didn't help the little guy at the very bottom of the pyramid. What's more, the merchants, notaries, and so on, once they had gone above their status, were absorbed into the nobility as new nobles themselves, a process that lasted until around the 1460s. There was even a movement towards the formation of the maestranze, professional groups such as the arts and guilds in the north, which had, in Florence, for example, even done away with the nobles. In Sicily, the nobility were having none of that, and in a parliament in 1451, they were abolished. The same went for the short-lived attempt at some form of independent city government, such as the election of consuls in Catania in 1435, again abolished by the parliament of 51. No need to keep track of dates here, obviously. This was also because although Alphonse did leave more room to the non-noble parts of society, it was the Parliament and the barons that made it up who would grant him the donativi, the donatives that he so badly needed to pursue his goals elsewhere. The situation was delicately balanced between the nobles and the middle class and the nobles and the viceroy, a balance which flipped at times, such as when the winter of 1463 and 1464 caused revolts among the lower classes, but the balance mostly held. On an economic level, the inclusion of Sicily in the Aragonese trade route 
from Spain down through the Baleares to Sardinia and then to the mainland through Sicily helped the economy of the island which started to see Catalan operators and merchants in its many ports as the figure of the masters of the ports and port workers gained importance. The traditional role of Sicily as Italy's grain basket continued, extended now to Spain, and also the cultivation of sugarcane and grapes increased, causing further deforestation. One issue that had always plagued the Sicilian shores was that of piracy, which increased in the 15th century with growing numbers of North African and Turkish pirates. It was the Venetian-Turkish War of 1463-79 to that really opened the Sicilians' eyes to the Turkish threat. Something which also did not go unnoticed by the Pope at the time, Pius II. Indeed, it was he who launched a campaign to ignite a religious fervour to rile up the popular classes against a possible Turkish invasion. Unfortunately, in Sicily, as elsewhere, this campaign had some rather tragic side effects. Indeed, with all these religiously charged Christian communities hanging around, nurturing fears of the enemy from the sea, the fear turned upon the more accessible enemy living close by, the usual scapegoat, the Jewish community. I suppose the reasoning was that, not being able to get a hold of the Turks, the next best thing was another perceived enemy of Christianity. Things turned ugly, and in Modica, on the 15th of August, 1474, for the Assumption of the Virgin Mary, a riot started out after a procession, and 360 Jewish men, women, and children were killed. It did not help matters for minority religious groups that the Spanish had also exported to Sardinia and Sicily a little thing called the Spanish Inquisition. And, as we know, no one expects the Spanish Inquisition. In any case, with a few hesitant steps forward, a few giant leaps back, the Aragonese and, with the union of Aragon and Castile under Ferdinand and Isabella, the Spanish bought Sardinia and Sicily into the 16th century, albeit with a marginal role to play. Indeed, going back to Alphonse V, what he really wanted was to get his hands on the kingdom whose capital was one of the largest cities in the known world, one of the jewels of Europe, the Kingdom of Naples. Grazie mille. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks in particular to my lovely Patreon supporters, starting with the first half of the Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei level, the third of four, Alison H, Amanda D, Anthony G, Brian J, Carrie W, C Lane, Cindy M, Dean V, Dominique T, Emily B, Federica R, Francisco A, Gabriel S, Greg, Gunnar, Ignacio, Il Valentino, Jane J, Jeff M, Jeff S, Jeffrey W, Jess and Shari, John W, and Juan Diego. Of course, thanks to the Tippy Top supporters, Paolo, Lisa K, Andrew M, Peter W, K, 
Kevin O, David L, Rinat, David C, Oak, J W Sen, and David A. Welcome aboard and welcome to the family to Lisa H, recent Patreon supporter, Justin E, Connor T, Peter, and Johnny B. Good. Like them if you would like to have access to extra bonus content and ad-free episodes, you can join Patreon today by going to patreon.com slash a history of Italy, or you can also get there from our website at www.ahistoryofitaly.com and click through on the support page. Remember that if you are so inclined, you can get in touch. Hello at ahistoryofitaly.com or through our social media, we are on Instagram, Facebook, and on Twitter. Once again, thank you very much for listening, and until next time, arrivederci. Sentire Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.